Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25, this is what we read. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to study your word together now, we ask that you would work in each one of our hearts and minds and souls. We pray, Lord God, that what we learn today would be applicable to our lives, that we would be people who are bold and confident because of your finished work. We ask us in Christ's name. Amen. So today we are taking time to look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Now, some of you might be wondering if I ever intend to get back to Mark's gospel. I do. I really do intend to get back to it. Uh, You might remember me saying uh, when I was preaching on Psalm 19 that what we see at the end of Mark chapter 9, I think we're up to, uh, the last two verses there, 48 and 49, really are a springboard for a few sermons that follow after it. uh, With uh, Lindsay preaching next week, which is not an intrusion, with Lindsay preaching next week, I thought we need to save that before we can consistently get into it. But also, last week we did have a statement read out to us from Presbytery, one which told us that as a denomination we are finding ourselves in a position to not be viable at this point in time. Uh, Perhaps that has caused us to feel somewhat shaken this week. For that reason, we're looking at Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. I think this is a fantastic topic for any Christian, any person look at this, but Christians will get the truths out of this. And there's just so much uncertainty in life. There are so many things that can shake us. And while there are things that can shake us and cause us to be uncertain, that's not the case with God. And God wants his people to be bold, confident people. That's what comes through here in this passage. Now, the book of Hebrews itself is an amazing book. It says a whole, whole heap about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. One of the interesting features about the book of Hebrews is you'd think that a book written in the New Testament would refer to the temple more than the tabernacle, but when it refers to things in the Old Testament, particularly their uh, practices in terms of worship, it refers more to the tabernacle than the temple. It's rather unique in that regard. Now, the book of Hebrews is also known for its warning passages. There are four warnings given in this book of Hebrews. Uh, We actually have one of them before us today. Uh, Verses 24 and 25, uh, obviously stirring one up to to love and good works, but not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's a warning against apostasy of walking away from what God has given to us. It's an important warning. Now, this is a very rich portion of scripture. I originally thought at the start of the week that I'd be preaching on verses 19 through to 39. But after writing a draft that was two hours at least, 
thought I'll save you from that. So I've shown some restraint. There's a whole heap on the cutting room floor and there's still enough for another two, maybe four sermons after this. We, we see when we read this that there's a sense in which faithfulness is a big underscoring factor. Verses 26 through 39 particularly pick up on that. The outworking of what we read here is living by faith. And faith in the context of Hebrews and, and the Bible is faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith that he is all the things that Mark has been setting out to tell us he is in his gospel. It's faith that Jesus Christ alone can save us from sin, that he is completely perfect in all of his being, he is completely perfect in all of his works, and that he alone is who we need to look at to have salvation. In trusting Christ alone, do we have any hope for salvation of sin? Jesus is the perfect representative of every single person who has faith in him. This passage we've read today in verse 19 starts off with a huge statement of confidence. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, that's not the end of the sentence. The sentence continues, but we should stop there for a minute. Uh, the holiest was a place in the tabernacle and later the temple that only one priest could enter once a year. Kids, I hope this is sounding familiar to you. We just spoke about it in the kids' talk. I hope you didn't switch off. It's the place one priest could enter once a year and it was a scary place. It was a scary place to enter into. That was God's place. God's holy presence was there. And if anyone entered into that holy of holies who was not allowed to enter in, they were not a Levitical priest and not the high priest, they would die. If anyone entered into that area who had not repented of sin, they would die. As I said in the kids' talk, the priest had reached a point where they had added bells and a rope to the garments that the priest would wear into the holiest of, holy of holies because... If those bells stopped, they'd have to remove a corpse. It's a wonderful thing in so many ways to consider that God's holy presence would be there and that God made provisions for somebody to access it on behalf of his people Israel. Even once a year, that is an amazingly wonderful thing. But it is also a scary thing for sinners to enter into the presence of our holy God. This is the imagery that the author of Hebrews is picking up on. Now, I have an idea who the author of Hebrews is. There are various opinions. I don't want to distract from anything else by saying who I think right now. I refer to the author of the book of Hebrews. He's referring back to this, this scary place, this holiest place. But he says in this verse 19, to enter with boldness. Now, right now, our confidence, our faith may be shaken. Our confidence may be short. Perhaps the, the, the news of presbytery dissolving in a bit over a year has knocked the wind out of you in terms of spiritual confidence. As we read in our call to worship in the third verse of Psalm 146, our confidence, our trust is not in us. It's not in leaders here. It's in God. 
perhaps we've experienced things in the home this week, things haven't gone to plan and we're feeling shaken by that. We thought we were doing the right thing by our family. We thought we had something that would be honourable to God that we were going to do with our family this week and it didn't work and we're feeling short of confidence because of that. Maybe we've come to God in prayer and just not found the right words to pray and we're going, are we really Christians? We, we have these things come up. We face hardships. We face setbacks. And even though we face hardships and setbacks, again, the author of Hebrews, he tells us to be bold. But he doesn't just say to be bold. He gives us a reason to be bold. And what is the proof, the reason that we have to be bold? The blood of our very own Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. When we sincerely engage our hearts and our minds and our, our lungs in singing praise, we're praying, we're praising God. When we pray, when we gather for worship, we are coming into the presence of Holy God. And because of what we have in Christ, we must enter boldly. The author of Hebrews, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He doesn't say having the ability. He doesn't say you might be able to do it. Just having boldness. Even when we are rattled, we have boldness. This is no suggestion. This is an attitude the author wants all Christians to have. Boldness coming before God. Not because of us, not because of confidence in ourselves, but boldness. Because we have an unshakable faith in the one who saved us from sin. If we have faith, if we make much of the work that Christ has done, if we consider it in high regard and we don't impose our struggles over the top of Christ and think that knocks down what he has done then we should be able to come boldly, not withdrawing ourselves, not coming to God's presence with a the, with the view of reserving part of ourselves. It's a holistic thing. Come, enter this holiest place. Come before God boldly. This is an attitude that we need to have. And then from there we move into verses 20 to 21. And we see things come up here that, that we, we don't often talk about these sorts of things very often. I can't remember the last time in a normal conversation that, well, just any conversation really, abnormal even, where the word consecration has come up. We don't really talk about consecrating things, do we? We don't really talk about consecrated things. It's odd. It's unusual. You don't really do it. Or at least I don't. Maybe I'm the odd one. I'm not sure. Probably am. We, talk, we see that. We see putting things behind a veil, which is, which is his flesh. It's not really everyday speak that we see coming through here in verses 20 and 21. But what we do see here, and we'll look at it a little bit further in a second, but what we do see here can be boiled down to this. As... Christians, as people who love God, 
because God first loved us as people who trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. We're a veil or a, a curtain, some translations say, once separated men from God. In the tabernacle and then later the, the temple, there was a big curtain that blocked off anyone being able to walk in to the Holy of Holies. It was thick material. When Christ died, he tore that in two. And it's not through passing through a, temp, a, a curtain that we enter the Holy God. We now have a living way to God, which is through Jesus Christ, which again here, Christ is risen. This is a living way to enter into the presence of our Heavenly Father. So when we understand that this is really what those verses are about, we begin to have confidence as believers. And it is truly remarkable. There are things here that might just seem like Old Testament jargon or perhaps just Christian jargon. But it's so rich. For something to be consecrated, it means that it has either been made or declared holy. Christ is already holy. He, he, he is God. He always has been. He wasn't made holy, but he was declared holy. He was declared the holy means by which we enter the presence of the Father. And this might sound like it's simple Christian stuff here. There is a beautiful richness to this, isn't there? You look at what the priests had to go through for just one of them. Once a year to enter the holiest place. It's a lot. The requirements were rightfully a lot. Because sin is a lot. And what Jesus has done gives incredible confidence to draw near. That contrast between what we see in the Old Testament, what we have now in the New Covenant is truly amazing. What the people in the Old Testament had before Christ came was exactly what they needed. But now we, we read, particularly in chapters 4 through 8 of Hebrews, that we do have a great high priest, one of a, a, a better order of priests than the Levitical priests. The last sermon I preached here two weeks ago, we talk, talked about being a, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, and that is because we belong to Christ. Every faithful person has access to the throne of grace anywhere, anytime, because Christ's blood that was shed for our sins is powerful and it is undeniably effective. Christ's sacrifice was made once for all. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 tells that just a little bit before our reading today. 
Christ's sacrifice was made once for all. It was not a sacrifice where there were question marks left, left over, whether it was pleasing before God. It was an acceptable sacrifice for the sins of all who believe. So again, we look at those verses and, and maybe the, the temple stuff there, seen, the tabernacle stuff there seems a little bit weird to us. If we take just half a step back and we think, well, maybe the book of Hebrews was written for Hebrews, they would have understood it. And when we take time to look at this and understand the imagery the author is using, we can understand it too and see so much beauty in this passage. You see, we we, we don't need a temple to worship God today. To properly worship God, we need Jesus. We need his blood to have cleansed us from sin. There are things in worship services that we must do that scripture makes very clear. We need to read scripture. Of all the components of a worship service, the reading of scripture is the most important thing because this is God's revealed word. I've told a few of you this. I've built up a huge hex debt from Bible college to learn that my sermons matter far less than reading God's word. God's word is the most important part of it. In a worship service, we must read God's word. We should sing, we should pray, we should study the word in a sermon. But these things being done in a God-honoring way is only possible for those who are covered by Christ's blood. We cannot truly worship in spirit and in truth if we are not Christians. Now, we don't like exclusive language and something which says, no, you can't be part of this if you don't have this. But the reality in Scripture is that without Christ being the way in which we come to, to God the Father and worship him, we cannot worship properly. Just as in prayer, a non-Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit interceding in their heart and Christ interceding between them and the Father cannot truly pray. For us to worship properly, we need we need this new and living way. We need it. Christ is the reason we can worship our Father the way we do. Again, as we prayed earlier, these blessings have been given at great cost. We see here the explicit reference back in verse 19 of Jesus' blood. This was not some cutting of the palm and making a blood oath like we hear about. This was his death on the cross. We have access the way we do in worship because Christ suffered at the hands of men because he was humiliated, he was stripped naked, he was beaten, he was hung on the cross to die. This is undeniably the single worst event in human history. Perhaps we look at that with a historical lens. 
and distance ourselves from it because of that. But we shouldn't do that. It is our sin, it is my sin, it is your sin that means that we participated in killing our Saviour. Our pride was challenged by God in many ways. We have his law on our hearts and sometimes we just don't like that. We don't like the niggle of our conscience. So we ignore it. In our rebelliousness, we just ignore it. Our pride gets hurt. We got upset. We rebelled against God and as a result, Christ had to die. It is horrible. It's also one of the most amazing things that has ever happened. Because if Jesus had not died on the cross, there would be no hope of salvation. There would be no hope for us to ever be restored to a right relationship with God. People often talk about Christianity being about a relationship with God. The reality is every single person on the face of the world is in a relationship with God. But if we don't love God, we are in a very bad relationship with God. We are his enemies. Christ died to restore our relationship with him. The price that I should have paid for my sins, the price that you should have paid for your sins, being paid by Jesus alone means that we have life, we have hope, we have confidence. The, the holy place where the priest interceded with God on behalf of the people of Israel was, was once a physical place, now it's a spiritual place. Wherever we are, we can approach God with confidence. We can draw near to the holy God who, who created us, who sustains us. Despite our flaws, despite our sin, despite our sometimes complete rebellion against God in some things, when we are repentant, we can now with confidence enter the holy place once more because Jesus makes it possible. I may be laboring this point, but I want to labor the point. This gives us confidence. Because no matter what we go through in life, no matter how far away from home we are, no matter how disappointed, upset, discouraged, disenchanted we might be, no matter how dismayed we find ourselves, we can live our lives with the confidence that God is always right there with us and we can go to him. He is our help and he is our comfort in times of need. Despite how needy we might sometimes be, his ability to help us in our times of need is not limited. We should have incredible confidence, incredible boldness in what we have in God because Christ has made that not just a possibility but a reality. So listen to what Paul says, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All that washing the priest did to enter has been done for us by Christ. With true hearts. 
not hearts living in deceit, seeking self-promotion, turning others against each other, but a true heart that, that lives and beats for God. These have been blessed to us. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What wonderful blessings we have in God. And you know what? It leads us to doing something. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The author is writing to people who are facing what seems to be in some places an exodus of people from the church. He was saying, well, we thought God was a good option, but we, we don't really like it now, so we're going to nick off and go over there and do our own thing. We'll do something else instead. Catch you later. Been a fun ride, but we'll talk to you another time. There's people who are leaving. People who clearly didn't have a true heart. People who clearly didn't have confidence in the completed work of Christ on the cross. And the author here says, you know what? If this is you, if you are confident in what Christ has done, if you know the blessings that come from being, having your heart sprinkled clean of an evil conscience, then you can do something to encourage the people around you. You can turn your minds to them, consider other people in order to stir up love and good works. Now, when it says consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, some people look at that and go, well, if I just think about encouraging somebody, that's the job done. All right, let's go a little bit further to what the author is actually telling us to do. Stir one another up to love and good works. Remind each other of what we have. Remind each other of the things that God has in store for us. Remind one another about the works that are right there before us to do where we can serve God. Maybe we don't have the capacity for a whole heap, but can you send a text message? Can you send a phone call to someone? A short email? That's just some low-hanging fruit about how we can stir one another up to love and good works. And there are, there's more. Have a look at that going forward document that Lindsay's and Elizabeth have done up for us. There's some ideas in there about how we can stir one another up to love and good works. And in doing that, verse 25 is absolutely crucial, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some. We see there some have stopped meeting together. It's a scary, dangerous thing. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. There will be things that knock our confidence around. There will be things that we face where we just don't know how to make heads or tails of it. Sometimes, when we face those times, the temptation is to not find Christian fellowship, but to withdraw. To step away. 
we might continue with our devotions and our prayers and praise God for that. But we're designed to be in relationship with one another. How many examples do we see in Scripture of the church being united? Of the church being the body? Of the church in Colossians having Christ at its roots? We can't separate ourselves off from that and really think that we're being faithful. We can't. We cannot separate ourselves from other Christians and think that we are being faithful. We just can't. The author makes it abundantly clear here. We should never forsake meeting together. If we forsake meeting together, how on earth are we meant to stir one another up to love and good works properly? How on earth can we keep that command? the blessing of meeting together is stirring one another up to love and good works. So keep coming to worship. Keep coming to worship. Get here for morning tea. Be willing if you're able to stick around and encourage people after the service. Join us for our lunches. Get to see Salt and Vine on Thursday. Bible studies, prayer meetings, but not just the things the church puts on. What are we doing ourselves throughout the week to meet together with one another? There's a lot to do. It might feel like it's perhaps too much. But think about the blessings we have the confidence we have, the boldness that we have. And may the work of God shape us, challenge us, convict us, and grow us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We know that this has... It's barely scratched the surface what we've said today about this passage. There is so much more in here, so much more richness and beauty. Yet, Lord God, we pray that we would be faithful in our boldness. May we always be assured of the work that you have done for us. When you said on the cross, it is finished, you meant that it is finished. That our sins have been paid for. That we have confidence to draw near to you. And Lord God, never, ever allow us to stop meeting together for the good of our souls and for the glory of your name. Amen.